you want to get more minorities and you want to get more people of different uh, sexual orientations, different women, different genders, it's like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Right. You want to be known as a department that has no issue hiring women, has no issue hiring black or Spanish speaking or Asian. And you have to hire them, not with a trickle effect where you bring in one in a class, two in a class. No, you have to hire them. If you have a class of 100, imagine what the uh, the image, the imagery would look like if you had a class of 100 and you had 50 minorities. Don't have to be 50 black. I would love to see 50 black. But if you had, you know, 30 black men and women, 10 Spanish speaking, 10 Asian, whatever. If you if if you show people that you're willing to be diverse in your organization, they will be drawn to your organization. listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, Black and Blue fam? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity and U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for joining me for this episode. You know, I really appreciate you for the love and the feedback that y'all give me. Before we get into anything here, let me first ask you all to please click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And leave a comment down below, too, to let me know what you think about this show and the episode. Listen to me on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Please rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And finally, make sure you check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, now, so with that out the way, let's get to it. My guest today works as a state trooper in the Northeast and is also a founder of an organization to help both law enforcement officers and the public. So Black and Blue fam, help me welcome to the show, Mr. R.C. Hughes, the third. How you doing, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me uh, on the Black and Blue podcast. It's a huge honor for me. Uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you. All right. So what's going on out your way? Uh, let's see. It's about uh, 530 over here. So eight. 830 over there. We, we had some technical difficulties here before, but we got through it. <laughs> so what's going on with you? What's oh, going the on Lord there? is kind. The Lord yes. is kind. You know what, Dale, here uh, in the Northeast, we're, we're, we're dealing with some, some backlash from some law enforcement officers having their lives taken on the job. And so it's kind of rocked a lot of departments in, in this area because these are men that are, that are known by other people, whether they're academy classmates, they've been on incidents with them, they've been to trainings with them. And so having two police officers within a month's time lose their life in this area, it, it's, it's really startling. But, you know, it's kind of some of the reality of the situation when you are a police officer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we'll talk about all the ins and outs and, and ups and downs of, of this line of work. How long have you been in law enforcement? I've been a, a police officer for eight years, going into my okay. eighth year now. Um, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, you work as a state trooper. It's, it's a little different. Well, you know, I, I, I won't say that because I don't know how it is on your side of the country. Um, but what, 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 what it kind of entails the job of a state trooper out there uh, in the Northeast? Well, see, I'm a Pennsylvania state trooper. So we are the law enforcement agency that covers uh, boroughs, towns that don't have their own police departments. We've recently picked up some boroughs that can't afford their own police departments. We people think that we're just a highway police, but we're not. We take calls for service. I mean, I, I work midnight shift. I take calls for service every night. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, it's a little different out here in California. We have the California Highway Patrol, but all they, you know, not all, but they handle mostly the freeways and they, and they handle, you know, the, the state capitol up there in Sacramento around the, around those buildings and such. But, uh, yeah, like you said, agencies or cities that don't have their own departments, they usually contract with sheriff's departments out here. So, well, yeah. if they don't want to regionalize, like if departments don't want to come together as a group, then it's written in our, our constitution that we will cover it. And it, it's, it has not been easy, but it's something that we do. Nice. Nice. Okay. All right. And so you got into it about eight, nine years ago. What, what, what drew you to this profession over anything else? You know what, Dale, I got a degree in criminal justice, a minor in legal studies, a minor in legal studies uh, that, that really allows me to read case law and really understand it. But I have, I've been in every corner of a criminal justice degree. I've done adolescent mental health. I've done juvenile detention. I I started off as top flight security of the world, just as a regular security guard. I've been a hospital police officer. (laughs) My first job ever, Dale, I was top flight security of the world um, down at the U.S. Steel Tower in downtown Pittsburgh. I was so happy to just get a job because I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio. So coming to Pittsburgh was like, Okay, there's tons of opportunity here for me. And the first job that I got, first call, hey, come in, take an interview. They were excited because they had a security guard with a degree, and I was excited to have a job. There you go. There you go. So you're from uh, from Ohio originally, right? I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, correct. Okay. I'm, I'm originally from Columbus. Okay, okay. I'm not yeah, a Buckeyes yeah. fan, though. Uh, what's wrong with you? Well, that's why you got out. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got it, right? I am a, uh, a diehard Tennessee volunteer fan. I'm not what? a Cleveland Brown fan. I'm not a Cincinnati Bengal fan. I'm a Tennessee Titans fan. Now, there is an Ohio State story behind it. It's got I followed Eddie George. I followed Eddie George from the Ohio State University to the Houston Oilers, who then became the Tennessee Titans. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, Eddie George. For the he, volunteers, he the Eddie, he, he still is the man. Um, now, for the volunteers, my favorite color is orange. So uh, I picked up the University of Tennessee back in 98, one of Peyton Manning's last years. And then in 99, they won a national championship. And I've been there ever since. All right. All right. Hey, we all got our quirks and that sounds like yours. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm out, I've been out here longer than I was in Ohio. I came out here like when I was 14, 15, and I'm, I'm a little bit older than okay. that now. So. You know, I, I followed USC and UCLA and, you know, the Lakers, of course, the Lakers um, out here right, in LA. Right. We didn't have a football team for a while. So I followed the, the Niners and now I'm a Niners fan. So, you know, I'm all Cali, but I, I follow Ohio State when, you know, whenever they on. I think the 49ers window is closing to win a championship. No, no, no we, we, we think be it's back still next open. We, we, we'll be back next okay. year. We, we, we just had a whole mass unit. Everybody was hurt. Everybody was hurt. So. That, that's the Tennessee Titans story the last two and a half, two, three years. It's just injuries. Yeah, yeah. It's just hard to you overcome know, at times. Yeah, you know, real quick, you know, talking about Eddie George, um, I watched, uh, he was on the Shay Shay. I don't know if you watch um, Shannon Sharp. Mm-hmm. He was on there and he was talking about, you know, his journey to being a coach over there. And uh, he's, he's at a, uh, at a uh, HBCU and I just did a show uh, talking about HBCUs with some HBCU chiefs. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, really getting their name out and, you know, to the public, HBCUs, you know, publicity. And one dude that really, you know, t- we all know this, there's only one Dion, one pre- run prime time. We right. was over there at Jackson right. State. That was a name nobody ever heard of until he got there, right? So, Correct. Got, got, to, got to promote. And I think he did a good job. I know there was some backlash because he left, yep. but I think that's I think that's kind of narrow minded because if you know Deion Sanders or you've you've heard him speak about what he wants his life to be, he wants to be a coach at a bigger school like Colorado. So at some point he was going to leave Jackson State. Yeah, he said he said that's up front. So right, exactly. Yeah. So there should have been no surprise. Yep, yep. How long you been in uh, in Pennsylvania? I moved here. Well, I was here twice. So right after college, back in 2008, I was here for a year. 
Uh, I partied way too much, was way too irresponsible, <laughs> and ended up having to go back to Youngstown. I, Dale, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I had a, I, it was my first experience outside of my hometown. Uh, Pittsburgh was a major city to me, and so I failed miserably the first time. And then I came back in 2012, and I've been here ever since. All right. All right. So uh, is, is this home now for you? This is home now for me. This is home now for me. I have, you know, me and my wife, we have five children. So my, our youngest oh. is four. So we got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> you got a long way to go. Long way to go. Long right. way. Long yeah, way. Yeah. So, so what's fatherhood like for you? You know what? Uh, fatherhood has been rewarding, but it's also been challenging as well, especially having to fight for custody of my two youngest children. It actually led me to create a, a course called Custody 101, a comprehensive guide for men. It's a seven, six video uh, course that I created, and it's just giving people the right mindset. I was able to be wildly successful with child custody. It's because I took what I learned as a police officer having patience, understanding how to testify, understanding what is and what is not important as far as evidence goes. I think that's the big thing for a lot of men. They think that emotions matter, and in a lot of situations they don't. So I did that. I was able to be successful with custody, and now life is just, well, there's four children here, one in college. So it's just like, it's like a machine. Like, you know, <laughs> you get off in the morning, you come home, it's you know, it's making beds, it's brushing teeth, it's washing faces, it's breakfast, it's getting dressed. Everybody's out of the house. It's a calm period for like five hours. And then it starts back up in the evening and you just do it over and over and over again. And you try to find time to to stop and settle down and just appreciate the children because they grow up so fast, like everybody says. Yep. And, you know, you just try to uh, make a mental note of the mindset or the uh, the milestones that they hit. You know, when they start to read, when they start to write, when they start to get really good at calculus, right. you know, when they start to challenge you with fifth grade, you know, fractions, things that you've forgotten decades ago. Man, listen, but it, let me, I let love me fatherhood. Tell let me tell you, when my kids are doing that, you know, especially with this new math kind of stuff that they got going on, you know, they, mm-hmm. they don't do division the same way I, I learned. And it's, a, it's, a, it's right. a whole new thing now. It's a whole thing. Trust, trust. But it is rewarding, like you just said, right? 100%. Uh, like I, I became a father when I was 19. So I've been doing fatherhood for almost 20 years now. And there's so much growth that I have seen in my, not only myself, but in my children as well. And the one thing that I, well, there's a couple things. I say being a father is not that difficult, right? All you got to do is show up every day, be present, uh, put some meat on the grill, Raise your voice every now and again and, you know, go to the different events and just be around. And the kids and my wife, they make it easy. They make it easy. It's not hard. You know, um, men, they run away from fatherhood. And it's like, hey, like you don't have to. There's no there's no awards. There's no super dad. There's no world's best parent. It's are you there every day? Do you tell them you love them? You know, do you support them in, in their dreams? Don't. And they'll return the love and everything that you want, the admiration, all of that. They'll give it back to you. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. So, you know, dad being a cop, what, what, what's the feeling on that? Does, does, first of all, does anyone want to follow in dad's footsteps? My middle baby. Uh, she's 10 years old. She, she thinks she wants to be in, in law enforcement. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, though. Yeah. I think there's, I think she just sees me and she thinks that it's cool. She doesn't see, you know, the behind the scenes stuff that comes with being a police officer, but I would never, uh, you know, try to steer her away from, from being a police officer. If that, if that's her dream, right. She's a young right. black woman. She, she, you know, Lord willing, she'll be college educated. Uh, she'll have the, the world, you know, in the palm of her hand. So if she wants to go into law enforcement, I would definitely support her and, and help her in every way that I can. You know, they see the uh, they see law enforcement and what it's done for our lives. You know, when I became a state trooper, so they see the benefits of it, right? They see yeah. the the nice clothes, the nice house, the cars, the food, the takeout, uh, the electronics, all these things. They see it and they know it's a byproduct of me being a police officer. Um, 
but that that's only one side, and that's only the side. That's the only side I really want them to see, right? If they want to choose to go into law enforcement later on in life, we'll talk about some of the other stuff. But yeah. right now, seeing the positives of it, that's that's all they see. Right now, you say you got one in college, and uh, I would assume maybe one in, or however many in high school, and that's what it really those years where like right right now, you know, they're seeing all the backlash of law enforcement and what what are their thoughts mm-hmm. on law enforcement? I know, you know, dad has been, they've seen dad as a, as a police officer all these years, but you know, they've also got friends and eyes and social media and all that too. I try to keep a low profile um, as a police officer in, in my own neighborhood. Not a ton of people know. Um, Cause I don't, you know, I don't, I don't put it out there in that way. Cause I don't want to draw any attention to my children negatively, because you know how kids are, you know how people are, and you've been a police officer long enough, so you know, like right now, it's not the greatest time for law enforcement. But um, I just, I like I said, I try to keep a low profile with it, but I know that they read the the articles online, or they watch the news, or they hear it. It doesn't make them question me. I think it makes them more fearful for me when I leave the house to go do my job. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't shield them from the world, from everything they're going to see and they're going to hear. But they know, you know, how dad is. They know dad's character. So um, they can't really question you. And hopefully they don't question the profession because dad's in it. No, exactly. They don't question me. But I think, honestly, we all kind of have to question where our profession is headed. Yeah. Where are we going right now? Yeah. Okay, because what it, and in talking to my daughter, she's a freshman in high school. This is what we're asking people to do. And I'll give you the you know, I'll give it to you like this. You're asking someone with a college degree to um, go to and first of all, alienate some of your friends and family, because that's going to happen. Doesn't matter who you are. There's going to be some people that you used to hang out with or that are your family that when you become a police officer, they're going to want nothing to do with you. And maybe that's not a bad thing for some people. But number one, we're asking people to alienate your family. Go to an academy where you're going to be yelled and screamed at. Um, you may come out of that academy uh, less healthier than you were when you went there. You're going to get some training. But one of the things I focus on right now is that the training for dynamic scenarios, the officer involved shooting scenarios, the violent domestics, nobody's training their cadets in in such a way that they can actually handle that situation when it comes up to them. Right. So you're asking people to go to these academies, get this training. Uh, They'll force feed you all the laws and stuff because they have to. And then they send you out to a, a police department there's going to be uh, bias. There's going to be, you know, infighting. There's going to be all of these things going on. You may get a coach that that wants to coach or doesn't want to coach. You may get two field training officers that neither one want to actually be field training officers. And then you get to go out on your own. And now it's life or death when you're out there by yourself. Yep. And if you make a mistake, it's going to want it to happen. Either you're going home in a box Right. Or you're going to take somebody's life if that situation arises. And in today's world, it doesn't it. I won't say it doesn't matter if you're right, but being a white police officer, and you have to take a black person's life. My Lord, look out. <laughs> yeah. Look out. Because, yeah. you know, it's coming. You know, it's coming. So <clears throat> when you when you when I frame it that way, because that's the way me and my daughter talked about it. It's like, hmm, well. Why would I want to become a police officer? You know, if all of these things, all of these negatives are present and there's a lot of positives, but these negatives are what are being focused on right now yep. in the media and, in, in, you know, in, in trainings and stuff of that and things of that nature. Is there something else out there for me I can do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that, that's the question that comes. Is there something else I could do besides this officer? Um, so we have to figure out as law enforcement where we're headed, where are we going? What do we want to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately that's, that's, you know, what we're faced with today in 2023, but yeah, it's all cyclical. Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully it'll come back. It looks like it it may be coming back. 
um, at some point. But, uh, you know, those are things that we got to deal with right now. Every department is hurting for, for people. And that's because, you know, people don't want to become police officers. But I think that's across the board. People don't want to people don't want to work right now. Nowadays, you know, you want to keep it real. I don't disagree. Um, I certainly agree with you on that point that people don't want to become police officers. You know, my age always tell the stories of where, you know, back in the 90s and the 80s, it's 12,000 applicants. Like you couldn't get on this job. Now, a couple hundred, maybe. Maybe. You're yeah. lying. And it gets harder and harder to pick quality applicants when you kind of have to take everybody, right, to, to fill the ranks. You have to kind of take everybody. But don't, don't get me off on a tangent. Why we're in the position that we're in, Dale? Because then we'll be here for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got three though. We got three. <laughs> we got okay. Three. No. Look, when you, it's kind of an arrogance ego type of deal where you were so ultra selective over the years, and you focused on one demographic specifically, right? And that was just white male. The vast majority of law enforcement is. So you you bounced out some women, obviously minorities at a high rate. And now that demographic that you had focused on so much just isn't there like it used to be. So you're trying to work backwards to earn the trust of women, minorities, uh, people of different sexual orientation. When you've been so exclusive of them uh, for so long it's it's a hard road to toe for law enforcement to try to bring everybody in now. Yeah. Yep. It, that, that is 100% sort of it, but it is what it is. We got to kind of get a handle on that and make things a little bit different, trying to get in some of those people um, that, that you mentioned, you know, those disenfranchised people, people of color, people of different sexual orientations and, and just, just female in general. There, there are a lot of agencies that are kind of trying to emphasize on those and bring those in the ranks now. Dale, there's two words that uh, I, I've come to have great disdain for, and it's diversity and inclusion. Um, and there's and for a couple of reasons. The, the first one being this, if you have to teach people how not to be biased then you might have the wrong people in positions of leadership and in the selection process. The second thing is this. If you want to get more minorities and you want to get more people of different uh, sexual orientations, different women, different genders, it's like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Right. You want to be known as a department that has no issue hiring women, has no issue hiring black or Spanish speaking or Asian and you have to hire them, not with a trickle effect where you bring in one in a class, two in a class. No, you have to hire them. If you have a class of 100, imagine what the, uh, the, image, the imagery would look like if you had a class of 100 and you had 50 minorities. Yep. Don't have to be 50 black. I would love to see 50 black. But if you had, you know, 30 black men and women, 10 Spanish speaking, 10 Asian, whatever, if you... If, if you show people that you're willing to be diverse in your organization, they will be drawn to your organization. Yes. It's really that simple. It's, it, it's not you have to go to diversity, inclusion, all this other stuff, all these trainings. No, you have to remove the bias, uh, the bias blinders that you have on and give people a chance. Dale, I put a video out on TikTok the other week where I said that if a, a young man came to me honestly and said, hey, I grew up here because I'm familiar because I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, there was the murder capital of Ohio, but it was also rife with drugs. So if a young man comes to me and says, hey, R.C., I, I grew up here when I was 17 to the time I was 20. You know, I sold a little weed, you know, I, or I sold a little crack just to make money because I was broke. Right. I was hungry. I was starving. You've heard that story before. You mm. know, that's why the vast majority of people get involved in the drug game to begin with. But this young man comes to you honestly and says, hey, he, I mean, he's coming to you honestly. He's not hiding. It. You're not finding out yourself. He comes and he says, OK, I did this, but I want to I want to be straight. I want to change my life. I want to be a police officer. I said I would give the young man a chance because I know what law enforcement did for me. 
And I haven't ever sold drugs before, but I know that it it allowed me to move to a different area of life, a different phase, a different step up. And sometimes that's all people need, right? People aren't going to, they aren't going to commit crime. They're not going to steal if they have the money to buy. Right. Right. They're, the vast majority of people are not going to sell drugs if they have a quality job where they can put food in the refrigerator and on the table. Right. Now, but the playing but devil's advocate, playing ahead. devil's advocate though, where does that stop? Mm-hmm. Though? We're talking about, you know, dope slanging and, that's one of the things that police officers right, right or wrong or whatever your philosophy is on legalizing drugs or not. As of today, you know, <laughs> most drugs, a lot of those drugs are illegal that say, you know, say cracked in your example. And, you know, a police officer must enforce people selling, you know, crack. And this person comes to you and says, I sold crack, you know, a felony. Where's, where's the, the equality, the equity in that? So here's the thing, Dale. Um, right now, in the dire state that most police departments are in, they've already loosened the standards for what they are allowing simply because they don't have enough people that they can hold at a higher level. Right. Okay. And so when it comes to, okay, like, RC, where does it end? If someone's honestly coming to you, and I say now, this is the point where we start to make uh, addendums to contracts, like, okay. We're going to give you a chance. The first inkling, the first sign of. Because they don't even do that with people who have passed drug use in the past. Right. Right. There's no, hey, you telling me you use cocaine for six years. They, those people don't get randomly tested more often. It may be decades before that person gets tested. So it's like, hey, we're giving you an opportunity. You, we're going to have a close eye on you. We're going to watch you. Right. We're going to watch you and we're going to check on you regularly. And the first time, the first sign, you're done. You're done. It's over. Okay. 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 It's over. Makes sense. And then when you get to that, when you get to that point with a person, if they are true and honest in their words, they're impeccable with their word, then that's an issue you never have to worry about. But they are always mindful of it. So their decision making is going to be geared to keeping their job right yeah. and, and, and staying out of jail themselves. Yep. Yep. It, and, and that could be just like, people uh, say it's, go ahead. Yeah. That could be just like any, any other background investigation where they, where they say that there's a cutoff of say five or six years. If, if you were dealing, you know, last mm-hmm. week, you know, uh, probably not now is a good, <laughs> that's a different story. That's a different <laughs> yeah. story. That's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> now it's probably not a good time. That's a different you. story. <laughs> yeah. Six years ago. Okay, right. We can, yeah, we can work with you. But you know what? There are some departments that are allowing drug use six months ago. Yeah. And not just marijuana, like like heroin and cocaine and things of this nature. So I'm more concerned about people who are using cocaine. I would be more concerned about a person who used cocaine in the past than I would necessarily about someone who used uh, who sold drugs, because if becoming a police officer removes that uh need or desire to sell drugs because you now have money. Well, it, I don't think it does the same for someone who uses cocaine because your cocaine is something you do recreationally. There's no, Oh, I was so poor. I just started sniffing lines, but that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah. You understand? What I'm, that's not how that works. Right? right. So someone who uses cocaine, if they fall on hard times as a police officer, are they more likely to use cocaine than someone who, uh, is to sell drugs. I mean, you can't really fall on hard times as a as a police officer when you have a good job and you're making money to be like, oh, you know what? I'm making six figures this year, but I'm a, I'm I'm going to add some drug dealing in there just to kind of you know just to kind of well, pad my pocket a little bit. All right, RC. <laughs> you know, we, it, ha- we, it has happened it. before. We've seen it. <laughs> we've it, it has happened before, right. but it's not like uh, it's it's not something that is so. Uh, prevalent, so I guess this is the best word. It's not something that's so prevalent. We have seen it before. Yeah. Can 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 you say Rampart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Out here in Cali, we know that. Yeah. One. yeah, everybody knows that one. So, so, uh, so, talk to me about what's uh, what's behind you there, the the huge initiative. What what is that? All right, so. Uh, my sister's a small business owner. She owned. Uh, she is a nurse educator. Uh, her business is called Remar Review. She had been on me from the very 
beginning when I first became a police officer to start the Hughes Initiative. And it was like, uh, R.C., you have the information. You need to give it out. You need to, you know, start uh, uh, educating people. And when I first started, I was like, ah, you know, Regina, I don't think I've been on the police force long enough to to start. I didn't feel like I was an authority on the situation. And then at the end of 2021, I almost died because of COVID. Um, I was in the hospital for five days and uh, we had a conversation and it was like, OK, you see how fleeting life can be. Now is the time. So when I started the Hughes Initiative uh, last year, I wrote the book, Dominate Your First Year as a Cop, to try to give police officers a, a, a different mindset, a different approach, because the mindset that they currently have is kind of it's kind of outdated. It's, it's archaic. You have to treat people like people. Right. So it started with dominate your first year as a cop. And then I created traffic stops, DUI and binge drinking where I go into schools. I talk about how to conduct yourself on traffic stops. What is case law? What is not case law? What to do during the DUI process? I called California, Tennessee, New York, Georgia, Florida, uh, Ohio, West Virginia and Virginia and asked them, what's your process like post arrest for DUI? And what I've learned is that it, it just depends on where you are right here in Pennsylvania. We release you whether you, after you give blood or breath, whether you do or you don't. But in Georgia, they lock you up, you know, in, in wow. New York, they just cite you right there. So it's, it just depends on where you are. So I just put that in there and said, hey, depending on where you are, these are some things that may happen. And then binge drinking. Obviously, I talk about that with with high school kids, uh, because that's how. That's how people find themselves in terrible situations. They don't understand what alcohol is doing to the brain and how when you get to about a point one four, your hippocampus stops recording memories. That's where you get the blackout drunk. That's where you wake up next to someone. You don't know how you got there. Young women, young men uh, sexually assaulted, never getting any answers because they don't even know what happened. But that's also how you get young men being arrested for, say, a rape. That they don't, they're not, a, they not, they're not a rapist, but this girl saying we didn't have consensual sex, but neither one of them can explain what happened because they got so drunk that <laughs> their brain stopped recording memories. And then, you know, even if this kid is charged with rape, okay, if the family's pushing the issue, you know, maybe it becomes a big story. You charge him with rape and he takes a plea deal. He may have to register as a sex offender for the rest yeah. of his life. Is that fair to a young man um, who got drunk and has sex with a young girl who got drunk as well and neither one of them remember anything? Is that fair to her um, that she thinks that she was raped? It's not. But they, when you're not educated on, you know, the effects of binge drinking and how it you know, affects the body and the mind, then you, you don't know. And these things continue to happen all the time. All the time. Wow. Wow. That's good stuff. Right. Yeah. So the. And then with HI, you know, that's the that's the police officer stuff. That's the education stuff, because I'm a I'm an alternate community service officer for my department. Um, it, but HI has grown now to to involve uh, custody for fathers, fathers rights. Uh, my, my video course, Custody 101, a comprehensive guide for men is a six video course where I give people the right mindset. Like I talked about before on how to handle court as a father and how to win custody. Uh, I won primary custody of my youngest daughter. I've terminated two child support orders. There was a time where I was paying $2,400 a month in child support. Mm. Okay. For three different children by three different women. And now I pay $200 a month for one child. I've terminated two child support orders. I have primary custody of my daughter. I'm moving for primary custody of our son. And my test, you know, my test, I'm turning into a testimony. I want to help men, you know, get more custody, but you have to go about it the right way. And it's a process. It's not overnight, but it's the long game. And you have to know that going into it. But a lot of people don't. Yeah, a lot of people don't. And I find myself, you know, I've never been in a situation where I've had to uh, fight for custody of my kids or anything like that. But, you know, dealing with it on a daily basis at work. You know, you see, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the, and, and not just men, you, you, the women coming in and, and custody battles. What can you tell the audience, the viewers and the listeners uh, about custody disputes when people try to use the police department 
as their conduit to getting their custody when they're coming in and telling stories about the other half and all of that. Like in my situation, uh, my daughter's mother, it, it turned into the boy that cried wolf. Right. You call the police on me three, four, five times, but there's never any evidence of anything going on because you're trying to um, paint me in a certain light. I make no bones about the fact that I was a wild boy, Dale, for for a number of years before I settled down. But yeah. when <laughs> I, I, listen, I make no I make no bones about that. But trying to utilize law enforcement um, as an arm to give you leverage. Men have to understand you have to be almost spotless in your approach but it's not it's not impossible. You just have to be mature. You have to not put yourself in situations where law enforcement would get involved. If you're doing custody exchanges at the police station, yet you might not like it. It might make you uncomfortable, but there's going to be a place where there's cameras. There's not going to be uh, the ability to make up any stories if you're not communicating um, over the phone. If you're just doing text message, email, there's always a paper trail. Yep. Right. Because here in Pennsylvania, we as police officers don't necessarily we can't we don't necessarily enforce custody agreements. I'm not coming into someone's house, kicking the door and ripping Same the here. child out and saying, here, it's your weekend. No, 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 no absolutely, that's that. not what we do. You know, and and but do I have I seen people call police on other people trying to get them arrested so they can go back to court and say, look, your honor, he got arrested for. Yes, I have. Yeah, I have it. You're going to be you're going to be shocked and saddened by the fact that we're not going to really try to get involved in this stuff. If you thought that you could use law enforcement as an as an arm to influence a judge or a custody battle. Absolutely. And and I tell people all the time, uh, one, we're not going to pull a kid from one parent's arms and put him in another parent's arms. That's not what we do. And, right. uh, you know, we, we we don't enforce those things. That's, you know, that's for a judge and a court order. And if it comes down to it, you know, maybe a sheriff's department will help enforce that court order. But in the meantime, right. um, what we see all the time is, you know, little Janie came back from from dad's weekend visit and little Janie had a had a mark, you know, on her butt or on her, mm-hmm. on her elbow <laughs> yeah, call yeah. The cops or whatever. Not, not, you know, not questioning the kid that, you know, hey, we got this, you know, playing in the street or whatever, you know, bumped into, you know, whatever that kids do because kids are kids. Um, it's automatically, you know, the father's fault. Right, right. And, and, and so some men, they get into a situation where there's fear of, uh, and I've been there before because I've been accused of, of, of touching my, my youngest daughter, which is the most the craziest thing ever, but there's some people, there's no limits to what they'll go to. But as a father, sometimes you, 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 you're fearful to maybe discipline your child or, you know, but you have to, yeah. but you, you don't want to, you don't, you know, cause if you spank your child and she has a, she or she has a red mark on their butt and they go home and, and now it's mom is like, Oh, you abused the child. You physically assault, you know? So as men, sometimes it, it's a it's a kind of a fine line as well to have to try to walk, but <clears throat> you still have to be a parent to this child. Yes, yep. You still have to be a parent to this child, and it's tough when they're when they're two, three, and four because they climb on tables and climb on couches and fall off treadmills yep. when they're not supposed to be on them, and you know they do all of these things that if you were married it would be a non-issue, but you're locked in a custody battle, so now everything that involves the child, a mark or something, becomes evidence in a sense that part that part and you said another <laughs> another thing that you do with the uh, hi Hughes initiative is you teach or you talk about how to interact with the police uh to the public how's that work <laughs> it you and so you have to understand that african-americans in law enforcement are talking about the same story where one police officer says, hey, I'm not Derek Chauvin, but you have to, as a police officer, you answer for that when you go to these calls uh, with different people who have different mindsets about law enforcement. As an African-American, I say, hey, I'm not your local drug dealer. I'm not a, a shooter, 
but I'm judged based off the color of my skin. Right. So when you have two groups that are fearful of each other, when they interact, of course, there's going to be additional attention. So in educating the public about how to interact with law enforcement, it's like, hey, you got pulled over for whatever reason. Okay, if you're if you if you have your license, you have your insurance, you have your registration. If you have a concealed weapon, you have your owner's card. It can it should go no further than whatever the original violation was. Now, you understand case law where a police officer can ask you to step out of the vehicle. Step out. Stop fighting things that you're not going to win. Get patted down. If they ask to search the vehicle, say no or say yes. It's up to you. Right. If there's nothing in it. Right. Because the goal is to have your traffic stop end as quick as possible. That's the goal. So whatever has to happen. People watch these videos on Facebook and YouTube and TikTok, and they think that, you know, they're going to a punk a police officer or try to outsmart them and they end up getting arrested or getting four citations. And nobody ever talks about what happens after the video shuts off. OK, when you right. get on a traffic stop with a police officer, right, you get on a traffic stop with a police officer, you try to bad mouth and try to record it. And then, OK, police officer doesn't budge, but he writes you two thousand dollars worth of citations. You better believe when that court date comes, your attorney's going to be begging that police officer to work with them in some way. Right. And the judge is always going to ask, you know, R.C., how they treat you on the traffic stop. That plays a big part because it's a respect thing. We have a job to do. Right. You might not like that we have a job to do. And the way it's currently constructed, you might have issues with. But that doesn't stop us from having to do the job. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. Now, on the devil's advocate side again, is that being punitive? Is that on the officer's part being a dick to write $2,000 worth of sight just because somebody was mouthing off at you, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what I talk to young police officers at cadets about is uh, I call it numbers-based policing, where you just police people based off the numbers. I was caught up in it for several years as a police officer because when you – Police people, based off the numbers, you bring back numbers, you bring back stats, you get rewards, whether that be overtime, pat on the back, cake, a a, a certificate, whatever. When you're aggressive as a police officer, um, you get rewarded in law enforcement, right, because you're generating revenue. And we all know that the problem with that is when you remove the human element from the interaction, then you then you lose what you're supposed to be doing as a police officer to begin with which is educating, which is being upstanding, which is serving the public. You're not serving the public when you look at everybody as a, as a statistic. Kind of what happened down in, in Memphis, if we could talk about that. <clears throat> so on a couple levels, and the first one being this, I've been on those type of proactive units before. You have to know that when you expose people to constant violence, you have to assume that at some point in time, they're going to become jaded to it. They're going to become OK with it. And it's going to start to influence their actions like those those police officers in Memphis. They know that there had been um, reports of them getting aggressive with the public like they didn't just wake up on that day and say, you know what? We're going to just absolutely obliterate a Tyree Nichols on this traffic stop when we find him. That's not how that worked. It grew over time. At the same time, too, I'm sure they had a lot of leeway because they were they were bringing home the bacon. Right. It was the arrest. It was the guns. It was the warrant sub, uh, subjects that they were they were picking up. They were I'm sure they were getting attaboys and the chief turned a blind eye to it because the numbers were they were coming in. So she could go to her council people and say this scorpion unit is awesome. It's amazing. This is what they're doing out here. But. When you only see the worst of the worst all the time, it definitely has an influence on you. And 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 that and when I talk about that, I say that's where the department did them a disservice. I was on a specialized unit. We had to come off of it after 120 days. Why? Because we're running and gunning. We're you know, we're arresting drug dealers. We're getting in pursuits. We're getting chases. We're getting guns off the streets. We're getting crack heroin. We're doing search warrants on houses. All of these traumatic events that we're having happen to us. Is having an effect in in my department, you know, it was like, okay, we'll we'll have these units going for a little while, but then new people have to come on. 
you can't take young police officers and just throw them on a unit like that because they're aggressive, quote unquote, because you're walking the fine line. And, and if you've ever been an aggr- aggressive police officer, you know that there's a fine line. You got to kind of be a lion um, out there because you're, you're only seeking out the worst of the worst at times. It may start off with you writing citations, but the more you're out there, the more aggressive, the more your goals get bigger. Now, it's no longer it's just citations. You want the car with the load in it or you want you want the, the people with the guns, you know, and, and that's the dangerous part of this job. But you have to have the certain mindset for it. But that mindset has to be it has to be kind of boxed in by supervision. Like, like, hey, we know you like going out there doing stuff, but like, uh, hey, all right, like this, let's, let's, let's reel it in a little bit. And that didn't happen down there. That didn't happen. No, no, no. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for Tyree Nichols. And, uh, you know, he lost his life because of it. So he terrible. did. Terrible. I, and, that, I, and, and, I, and that is in no way of me excusing those, those men's action. Um, they ought to feel the full brunt of the uh, Tennessee state, you know, penal system. They should, yeah. because they killed somebody. That yeah. that's not what we do. And, and and I had a guy at the gas station, uh, like a day or two after the video came out. Like you know, I've known this man for years. He's like, RC, you're not like those guys. I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like what are you talking? You've known me this long. I don't even get into that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, just the other day, you know, I'm an FTO, my department, field training officer in my department, and mm, I got a training now. And uh, and we had to take down a guy. Three of us had to take down a guy the other day. And, uh, you know, law enforcement isn't pretty, uh, but we had to take him down and get it's him not. in the handcuffs. And and at the end of it, we were done. And it was three of us. And this guy, from what I could tell, is bigger than what Tyree was. Um, it just goes to show that, you know, and I always had this, you know, just thought when it, when I saw that video, it's like, hey, five high schoolers could have gotten that dude down. They didn't want to get him down. Yep. They didn't want to put him in custody. No. So there, nope. there was a little more and, and, retribution and we, or something involved with that. And what I teach is when the handcuffs go on, it's over. It's done. It's over. It's done. That's it. Right. Unless you're dealing with uh, unless you're dealing with Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or one of those guys with those special skills that can fight you with the once the handcuffs go on, it's over with. There's yep. nothing left. Yep. Right. Most they people wanna, are not. If they want to kick you, then you then you know hobble the legs and you know it is. Right. What it is. Yeah. It's, it's just done. But what happens, Dale? We know what happens, and, and you know it as well as I do. Uh, people take things personally. Yeah. Right. They yep. they take it personal when you when you resist or when you run from them. They they want to make you pay the yes. tax. They want to make you feel like yep. they want to make you feel it. Right. That's what they want to do. And this is business. And that's another thing I teach young police officers that this is business. You are an asset until you become a liability to your department. And the minute you become a liability to your department, they're going to start making moves to get rid of you because they don't want to pay out lawsuits because you want to be, um, you know, John McClain. Right. They don't want to they don't want to pay for that type of stuff, especially when you're not doing the job the right way. You're putting people at risk with your actions because you think you're being aggressive. Can't take it personal. It's just like anything else. And that's one of the problems in law enforcement. People take things personal. It's not, hey, you want to run? I mean, you run, I chase, you know, we pursue. Once we get, once I get you in custody, I'm, I have to learn to let that go. I can't take that home. I have five children and a wife. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody got time for that. Yep. Nobody, nobody got time for that. Nope. Like, I'm not walking in the house with an attitude at 6 30, 7 o'clock in the morning, um, getting into an argument with my wife because I had to, you know, I had to get into a fight with a guy. I'm not doing that. Yep. Yep. 100, 100. All right, brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I really appreciate of that. You get, yeah. You, you, you got a, a great insight and uh, this huge initiative is, is great. It sounds like you got a good thing going there. So, you know, keep that thing going. So what's RC stand for? Robert Clarence Hughes, the third, that's my full name. Uh, Robert, my grandfather Robert. was a reverend. So that's where it started from, and it carried down to my father, and now me, and um, I, I just go. But I, my family calls me RC. I didn't let people call me RC for a long time, but I feel like now that I'm, you know, speaking and, and engaging with other people, uh, is a level of familiarity there that I think that I should have with people. So, as far as the Hughes Initiative, you can find the website, you know, www.hi-teaches.com. The Hughes Initiative is on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and a YouTube channel as well. 
So right. I'm available, you know, for for whatever it may be. There's a there's a bunch of different things I teach. Um, again, there's the book Dominate Your First Year as a Cop. Let me get you a copy so you can see it here. There it is. Yeah, um, it's not it's not just for first year police officers. It's for police officers looking for a different mindset who've come to a point in their career where they're starting to realize that the way they're going about it isn't isn't helping. It isn't working. And I think a lot of police officers get to that point after a certain point. You learn that the real power that you have. Right. You're you're burned out from being aggressive. Now you got to police people differently. But you're realizing that you're having interactions with people that uh, that are negative or you're not making any headway. You're not getting any in compliance from people and you're trying to figure out a new way to go about it. That's what dominate your first year as a cop is for. All right. One hundred percent authentic. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yes, sir. But my yes, man, sir. you are not done, RC. Uh, what we do here on the Black and Blue podcast is uh, put you through a, some paces here at the end, and this is black or blue, black or blue, black or blue. Okay. Black or blue, black or blue, black or blue. Come on. All right, this is my black or blue game, black or blue game, and your category today is what's in a name? What's in a name? Your name is RC, right? RC. Yes. Hughes. So. We're gonna talk about. Well, let me go back there. I got to. Well, I'm gonna show you some uh, some some pictures of some celebrities, and you got to tell me. And, and they all go by and there's some sort of initials. Uh, tell me who they are if you know them or not. And hopefully you get more right than you got wrong. Uh, here's your first one here. Any questions? Any questions on that? No, no, no. Let's go. Let's go. Got that here. How about this one here. Do you know who that is? That's the brother TD Jakes, of course. That is T. That is TD Jakes. Here we go. Where we at? There we go. <laughs> yes, that is TD Jakes. So you know how that goes. First one done correctly here. Here's your next one. Who is that? I'm trying to give you a, give you a hint by the, it's the, the main person in the middle, but the uh, give you a hint by the little person there wearing a circus outfit. Circus. It's not Barnum and Bailey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Come on. What, what's what's Barnum? Is, is it Barnum and Bailey? What's Barnum? Uh, B.D. Barnum. I, or I'll, give it it? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. P.T. Barnum. P.T. 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 Barnum. <laughs> P.T. Barnum. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I'm too focused on law enforcement and no. teaching about B.A.C. <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. We I gotta get outside. I gotta get outside more. I gotta get outside more. Right. Come on, come on. Well, you knew TDJ, so come <laughs> on, PT Barney. You, you actually knew this last name too. So come on. Here's your next one. Come on. AC Green. That is AC Green. Yes. Yes. Lakers. The Lakers back in the '80s and the early '90s. Yes. He had that curl. Everybody knew the, the greasy curl that he had. <laughs> AC Green. All right. Uh, here's your next. Yes, sir. Uh, that's JFK. That is JFK. Yeah, see, you know history too. All right. Oh, yes. Here's your next one. Who's that? A rental James. That's OJ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, OJ. 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 That is OJ. OJ Simpson. All right. Your next one there. Who's that? BJ Armstrong. That is BJ Armstrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know your sports here. Okay. Um, how about this one? Who's that? Oh, that's the gentleman. Oh, what is his name? Great oh. actor. State Farm oh, commercials. Yes. Yes. He he's the, in the uh, Oscar. He's in Liberty Mutual now, too. Right? Is it Liberty Mutual he does? No. No, but he's still State no. Farm. He, he won an Oscar for uh, that jazz uh, movie. What was that? Um, that was a great I, movie. I can't no, think of his. I, I know who that is. I cannot think of his name. I won't even waste your time. Oh, <laughs> What's, his name? What's his name, Dale? Yeah, I got it wrong. J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Okay. Okay. Great actor. Yep, yep. Great actor. All right. One wrong. Yes. One wrong. A couple more here for you. How about um, who's that? Hmm. Great poet. Is that activist? Activist. W e w e d Du Bois. Yes. W.E.B. Du Bois. Yes. Yes. Du Bois. Yes. Yep. All right. So, all right. You knew that one. Um, who's that? Now. So 
before we get into it, I am a diehard Minnesota Timberwolves basketball fan. Uh oh, easy, easy then. Easy, KG, easy. big ticket. I don't know what yes. you want to call him, big ticket. Yeah, he's the reason I like I like basketball. Okay, yeah, yeah, KG, he he was it, he was it, he's the truth. Although his uh, his teammate his teammate was the truth, but he he was the truth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, Paul yeah. Pierce. Yeah, right. that Who's is. That? Is that Hoover? No, 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 no. Initials, initials. Which one is that? Known by initials. Uh, which one is that? Three, so, that two, is two. one. I don't know. That's uh, FDR. FDR. <laughs> okay, Franklin <laughs> Delano Roosevelt. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. That was him. Couple more. Who's that? R. Kelly. Robert. Just make my name. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. R. Kelly. Hey. Hey. I had to pick some that would (laughs) that you kind of. I understand. I understand. I understand. O. J. R. Kelly. Yeah. There's there's a couple of them. Yeah. I know. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, Who's that? That is B. B. King. That is Mr. B. B. King. Mm-hmm. And Lucille. And Lucille, correct. And Lucille, yes, sir. And you, you know this. One. MLK. MLK, yes, sir. MLK. Black History Month. MLK. And that is MLK. Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. You did great on uh, what's in the name. So, <laughs> so we're going to call you All I do winner. Is <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody has Stay yes. there. You got the. You only got a couple wrong. That was uh, J.K. and uh, F.D.R. F.D.R. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. You even knew P.T. Barnum. You called him B.T., but you you, you knew who it was. B.T. I was close, right? <laughs> same, you know, same house, different room. Yeah, yeah. All right, R.C. Uh, how about some words of wisdom on the on the way out? The Lord is kind to you. I'm a religious man, so the Lord is always kind to you when he wakes you up uh, that very day that you get up. And and on that day, you have an opportunity not only to serve him and to uh, spread his message, but you also have an opportunity to live by faith. And living by faith is having a dream and not being able to see what's in front of you, but just walking towards that dream, taking steps towards that dream in hope that it will come to fruition. Uh, if I could tell any any police officer or any person that's listening anything, don't be afraid to go after what it is that you lay in bed and keeps you up at night. It's positive. When you close your eyes, how do you see yourself? In what ways do you see yourself successful? And then you start to to work towards that. But you have to take the first step and you can't let fear stop you from being great. Words to live by. Love that. Love that. Appreciate yes, you, sir. All right. Uh, hey, this is a great, great time I had with you, RC. Like I said, in the beginning, we had some technical difficulties, but we worked through it persistently. That was that's my fault. Yeah, that's no, all. You good. helped me. You helped me. You helped that's me figure good. it out. Thank you so much. Thank that's you so much. Yeah, hey, I love having you on. And uh, hey, man, you keep up what you're doing over there at uh, Hughes Initiative. Sounds like a great program. Uh, one more time for the, for the people get down. How did they reach you again? You can reach me through uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, there's products and the book is available on uh, Amazon and on the website, www.hi-teaches.com or by email at thehughesinitiative at gmail.com. All right, brother, man. You be safe out there. Uh, state trooper and out there in the Northeast in Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Dale. I greatly appreciate it. You Hope you it. have me back again. I will. Go Buckeyes. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. <laughs> I talked to you. Uh, okay. Another amazing interview with another amazing guest. Thank you, Arsene Hughes III, for dropping by the show and sharing your story with all of us. You have a real tough job, sir, and I'll speak from all my listeners and viewers when I say greatly appreciate you guys out there enjoyed the conversation with rc hughes uh let me know by leaving a comment in the section below and clicking those like and subscribe buttons if you haven't done so already 
If you listen to me on your favorite podcast platform, hey, remember, always remember, rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. I'll be back real soon with another interesting and informative conversation with another minority in law enforcement. But till then, y'all know the phrase that pays. Stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. This has been a Nature Day Entertainment presentation.